if I was going to make a recommendation to any of the any any random potential like convention goer or furry out there, this would be their favorite movie of all time. Would be Howling too, probably. Radio Drone. It's a full moon when we record this episode of Radio Drone. No, n- not really. It's really not. But I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Peter, partially Eddie Quist, Gajic. Yeah, I, I, I don't get that reference. I'm, I'm going to have to Captain America that one. Eddie Quist was the serial killing rapist in the first Howling movie. Robert Picardo's oh, character. Okay. Okay. I, as far as name. Like the, I think the the ones I've watched the most recently were two and three, but yeah. With me is as always is Cecil Second Banana Trachtenberg, and no, I'm still not pronouncing his name right. You're a full moon. Okay then, and because we're going to be looking at the Howling franchise this week, I decided we needed a control. Cecil, Peter, and I have seen all of these movies at one point or another in our life. Darren, who we brought for the Hellraiser retrospective and the Amityville retrospective, is our control. He hadn't seen a single one of these before literally today when he marathoned all of them. So Darren Orange is going to be our control in this experiment. Yeah, and I'm only comfortable with my clothes on when I turn to a werewolf, just so everyone knows that. Like my clothes being on. No nudity clauses. But if you don't yes. like clothes being on, <laughs> you could go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E. And through the holidays, you'll get a special holiday package for your package. You'll get 50% off of a single item. You'll get a free Naughty and Nice kit with a gift for him, a gift for her, something for both of you, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. As we go into this, what would you say the Howling franchise means to you? Not an individual film, but a franchise of eight films that most people probably think stopped at three. Werewolves. That's it. It doesn't really... I mean, I, I like the series. I mean, granted, uh, it's it's kind of a roller coaster of quality, but um, it it's it's, for the most part, it's about werewolves. And it was... One of the first werewolf movies I saw, I actually saw The Howling and uh, what? Oh God, what was the other one that came out right around the same time? American Werewolf. Was no, no. Wolfen. 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 Yeah. Wolfen's so, not a real uh, werewolf movie. I'll go into that in a minute. I know, but I'm saying is that right around that time because it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was American Werewolf in London, which was the one that really like kind of set off the trend. And then I remember uh, Howling and Wolfen. Uh, I saw, uh, you know, on video, you know, when they were when they were available. But uh, I did see. I got my my older sister was able to sneak me a copy of uh, American Werewolf in London. And I was watching that. I really shouldn't have been. And then it scared the hell out of me. And then kids I was in school with uh, managed to get the Howling and Wolfen. And we watched them. I don't really remember Wolfen much. I just remember it being I thought it was a a werewolf movie simply by name alone. But I haven't seen it in quite a while there. They've always been 
uh, kind of the werewolf franchise that I go back to because they're uh, they're entertaining. The ones the ones that are good are very good, but the ones that are bad are very bad. One to three are are pretty worth watching, and then skip the rest of them. Short to the point. Okay. I mean, the fourth one is. I mean, I don't want to go into specifics, but there are some of them range from weird to pointless to boring, and a, and a lot of them just seem unnecessary but one to three are are all satisfying in their own different ways one is it's been a while since i've actually seen it but i i remember enough of it to know that i still like it. it's very atmospheric really effective really great transformation scenes two is ridiculous and i'm sure we'll get into why and three is also ridiculous but at the same time Really clever and creative, and in my opinion, one of the best when it comes to the exploitation genre. Darren, you having never seen any of these before, you know, prior to 24 hours ago, what does the franchise mean to you as a Howling Virgin? So Howling to me, it, honestly, it seems like the most uh, gross and extreme negligence that's been ever taken towards an intellectual property towards a franchise. I've never seen any franchise be so abused as Howling has been, uh, to go from the first film... Worse than Amityville? Uh, the, worse. <laughs> honestly, worse uh, in a lot of ways because the, the, the films didn't even have their standoff, uh, standalone-ish quality as you kept going down the, um, the rabbit hole with them. They kept trying to be something similar or like as or different, but they had nothing that made them good or, or even great, I'll use that word, uh, standing alone. The first film by all means, is I think is very, very good. In fact, I would argue is better than the other werewolf films, I'll put that in quotes, that came out the same year, now that I've seen it. However, the ones that came after that point became almost trivial and silly and, and just, just a, a money grab and, and terrible, terrible use of the intellectual property. And it's kind of sad considering how amazing they started off with the first film i mean i'd put it on par with some of the things even uh we talked obviously i was part of romero piece but what was done with the classic stories of zombie lore really the first howling film did a great job establishing that world and the rest of them just kind of pissed on it for lack of a better way to describe it so that's my my take being so fresh to it. All right, well, let, let's go back to 1980. Or actually, let's go back a little bit farther. Let's go back to 1977. Gary Bradner wrote a novel called The Howling. It was an interesting little take on, on PTSD, which wasn't even a term that we had then. PTSD from rape, the whole subversion of the beast within. And it was my mildly popular novel. It was optioned by Avco Embassy Pictures. Avco Embassy at this time was kind of positioning themselves as the go-to genre place. Between 1979 and 1982, they made, on very small budgets, Phantasm, The Fog, Scanners, Time Bandits, The Howling, and Escape from New York. So they, Avco Embassy was quickly becoming, they, they were kind of took up the void that American International, having gone out of business since 1979, had left. They were making small, low-budget, two to six million-dollar films that tended to do ten to fifteen million-dollar in at box office. They optioned Gary Bradner's *The Howling*. They eventually, after going through a couple of different directors, landed on Joe Dante, fresh off of Roger Corman's *Piranha*. This uh, relatively unknown writer named John Sayles he adapted the novel, and by adapted, I mean changed about eighty percent of it. He kept the vaguest elements of the plot and decided to make a satire 
a completely played straight satire of what werewolf films had been. Now, at the same time, the aforementioned American Werewolf in London was coming out, and Wolfen. Now, Wolfen's not a, it's not a real werewolf movie. It was sold as a werewolf movie, but, spoiler, Wolfen is actually about Native Americans bringing the spirits of wolves to protect their, their sacred land. So it's not really a werewolf movie, even though for three quarters of it you think it is. So I'm going to not count Wolfen in this, because that's kind of a lie. It's a good movie, though. So you kind of had this mini werewolf thing going on in 1981. American Werewolf was obviously the winner at the box office and got the Academy Award nomination and all that. The Howling was kind of left behind. It made a ton of money. It made $17 million on a $1.5 million budget. So huge success. The movie is a fantastic movie. It's witty. It's smart. It's got an amazing cast. It's brilliantly directed. Joe Dante uses color to tell such an amazing story in this. He says that there are two types of movies, color movies and movies that are in color. He said if you're not going to use color, you might as well just shoot in black and white. So this movie is drenched in blues and reds and greens and backlighting. I mean, this is even before Blade Runner. He's got so many scenes that are backlit through a forest or through Venetian blinds and whatnot. This movie looks way bigger than its $1.5 million budget. And it's funny, mm. it's witty. Absolutely agree, 100%. It's a beautiful-looking film, and that's what I've uh, taken away from it. Even not having seen it for years, I remember how amazingly shot it is. Uh, the, the use of color, as you said, the use of reds, blues, uh, the whole you know Venetian blinds to create you know lines across characters and backgrounds. It, it's, it's one of those movies that you could... Well, I mean, if you're somebody who's into horror movies, you probably could very easily just put it on and fall asleep to it, which... I do with a lot of the more sort of atmospheric type movies. And it's a movie I could put on, not really pay a whole lot of attention to, and just sort of nod off and fall asleep after a long day. It's it's just one of those movies that you primarily... It is incredibly witty. I remember also just the, the performances and the writing was great. The effects were awesome. The, the atmosphere and everything is what I ultimately remember it as. And it's it's what's so iconic for me because not, not a lot of movies managed to do that as well as as some of those um you know late 70s and early 80s horror movies and and some exploitation films managed to do and and howling is is right up there with the best of them and it's easily one of the one of the best uh, werewolf movies of of all time i mean i know a lot of people who consider their best to be you know werewolf in london and and stuff like that but uh, and i agree that's a great film but for me it's probably always going to be the first howling even though i i do need to to see it again it's it's been a fair few years i love the first Howl. uh it's definitely one of my all-time favorite werewolf movies uh for the tiny well relatively tiny budget that they had they made some amazing stuff i mean the uh robert picardo his werewolf transformation is just amazing I would say it's arguably better than the American Werewolf transformation. It's more graphic, arguably more realistic, like those bone-crunching sounds when he's transforming. You tell me that's not mm -hmm. creepy as hell. Oh, it was amazing. It, it terrified uh, me when I was a kid, and it was just uh, really effective. And it went on for a very long time. It wasn't just uh, like the the, uh, the werewolf movies we have now, where it's like, floof, they're a werewolf. You know, it's he was going through pain and turning into a werewolf. I mean, it was uncomfortable 
And um, but he was just crazy and enjoyed it. Uh, I couldn't believe that going back that it was him because I had um, I had seen uh, Star Trek Voyager. And then, uh, you know, years after Voyager ended, I went back and watched uh, Howling again. And it's like Rob Ricardo. Oh, my God. That's the that's the doctor. Holy He's crap. He's a rapist Doesn't, killing look, werewolf in this. Right. It looks nothing like he does now. And uh, and then, you know, and then even to that extreme to how it looked in uh, Gremlins 2. Yeah, the, the movie's just amazing. It's well written. It's well paced. It's fantastically directed. It's a good looking movie. And uh, it's it's a shame that you have a good director like da- like Joe Dante, who understands the importance of lighting and the importance of setting up your shots how he was able to stretch that, you know, $1.5 million. I mean, today that's probably roughly the equivalent of like $4 million, but still you have movies that cost like $20, $30 million that don't look as good as that. And it's, it's because they rely too much on color correction and post-production instead of trying to get good stuff in camera and then maybe uh, adding detail to it later. Joe Dante says cheapest special effect ever is color. I believe it. Yeah. It brings so much to to the movie because when you when you have a lot of color and not just color correcting everything gray, then it makes things stand out more and it makes it look better and it makes it look more impressive. Just on a visual level, The Howling is one of those beautifully directed movies out there. The the atmosphere is just amazing with the use of color. So when I started watching it, the opening of the film uh, left me kind of for a loop. The dynamics of it, what was happening, especially as far as the storytelling, uh, I was confused to where I was coming into it. Like I came into it like in the middle of the story. However, quickly it became apparent that there was a much deeper strand here, and we were only getting kind of the cusp, the very top level of what was going on. And it developed extremely well. A lot of the things that, that actually um, were most annoying earlier on were somehow f- how things were shot in a very static fashion. Uh, I was kind of hoping for a little more motion or movement in the camera to help bring focus to certain critical elements. I kind of think that's part of the style of the film is to, to set you on a certain lock and say, here's what you're looking at. and You're looking at just this. I think the film radically better than American Werewolf in London, just to put that out there. I, having seen that in the past few years it's like well this is a much better story the characters are interesting that what they're going through is exciting and the effects stuff isn't just limited to the little bits here and there you know american werewolf was always like oh this and that etc like here's our transformation this had other elements the the hand being cut off in one scene and that change back and forth was awesome and it gets overlooked all the time probably but that's so creepy to see it today i've been like withered in two seconds like how cecil said like literally like you get instant transformation well the hand took forever to turn back into a human i think a lot of the scariness and the suspension was really intense and done very very well the great performance from from robert again same thing coming from voyager it's always a a gem like to see him in a film i've never seen him before it's like this guy is a rock star actor why is he not in more things today it blows my mind like he was amazing in that role and to think that later he'd become the doctor and it's like well this guy needs to be in more stuffs i think the movie's fantastic i think it's got a great arc the ending is so amazing and so shocking like nothing today would be that jarring that tense when it comes to the ending I actually think the best moment is how nonchalant everyone is watching D. Wallace turn into a werewolf on live television. Wow! What are you kids watching? 
The newsly has turned into a werewolf. Oh boy. La mujer se cambió en un lobo. Things I do with special effects these days. Did you see the one about the guy in the spaceship? It was real. He turned into a werewolf and they shot her. You're plastic. Doesn't mean it wasn't real. It's just how nonchalant the audience is that she's turning into a werewolf on live television and being gunned down by her DP. But it's even better today. Think about the effects. We both can't do with effects. Like today, it's even more relevant, that line. Like it's almost like, like it's almost, if you saw it, it's like, haha, of course. Well, then you'd look at the effects like, well, that looks really good. Of course, I believe that. But today you see effects like, no, that's totally fake. A, that's the difference as well too and you have that ending and that's that big of a punch it's like well it's selling it because it's real it's not fake and it's even more like ironic or, or coincidental or however you want to put it that that that's there at the end that that's just an amazing finish to the film it's like wow way to punctuate this movie this like you're trying to get a communication like, this is real this is happening and it's real and it's practical it's like well you don't get that in films today you don't get that tactile like this is happening and here's how it's really happening you don't get that feel anymore you lose all that it's all fake it's all well fake it's all cgi now the howling did go over quite well not just at the box office it was a pretty big hit with critics it actually won the saturn award for best horror film in 1981 which is kind of why it's a little surprising to me it took until 1985 to get a sequel in 1985 philippe mora decided to make Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, or Howling 2, Werewolf Bitch, or Howling 2, The Return, or Howling 2, Stierba, Werewolf Bitch. Those are all alternate titles depending on what country you lived in. Howling 2 is a ridiculously fun, bad film. It's a bad movie. For some reason, and I, I can't prove this, but I firmly believe that The Howling 2 was not written as a Howling sequel that it was a vampire movie that they did word replace for werewolf to vampire because it is a werewolf movie that takes place in Transylvania where werewolves can only be killed with a stake through the heart, werewolves are allergic to garlic, werewolves are allergic to holy water, werewolves can entrance people with their spells and their voice, and werewolves can turn into mist. Am I the only one that is pretty sure this was not written as a f***ing werewolf movie? Yeah, this one was very odd because um, it's almost like uh, either it was originally a vampire movie or the person who wrote it had werewolf vampire dyslexia and just mixed the two up completely. It, by all means, should have been a vampire movie. Or maybe that was the, the thing. They, they thought it would be funny to uh, make a movie where werewolves were where, you know, we had it wrong. It was uh, werewolves were afraid or, or could be harmed by all the vamp vampire things pretty obvious and that's what makes it excellent i mean just the fact that christopher lee is in this movie is a pretty big indicator that this was meant to do with vampires in some some way or another i mean the only thing that really ties this movie together with the first movie is that they have that little the so-called footage of the news report even though that makes no sense it aired live everybody knows that that happened and they're that they're claiming that this is like this unaired thing so it barely feels like a sequel and it was definitely meant to be this vampire thing but it's still so much ridiculous fun i mean just the the very idea of pairing up of pairing up christopher lee with red brown is just an amazing idea in and of itself versus sybil danning too that's right 
the they took the script from the Apple and they turned it into a uh, uh, a werewolf movie. No, um, there's a lot of singing, a lot of the same songs, and then it repeatedly it was a bit silly and ridiculous for the whole opening. Like they had a whole music video segment. And the opening was like almost four and a half minutes long. It was just them playing the same the song over like the theme song that would come up randomly. I think that it just didn't have enough focus on the the content, the the material, the the that made it good. It does make more sense as a vampire movie. It doesn't make as much sense as a werewolf movie. However, they did a great job tying the two together. They just had a little bit of excessive, like, orginess going on constantly. They became a little ridiculous and over the top. It's like, great, nudity, more nudity, more nudity. Keep going, more, 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 more. And then, like, let's get into Harry. If I was going to make a recommendation to any of the any any random potential, like, convention goer or furry out there this would be their favorite movie of all time would be howling too probably just don't know that they knew what they were doing they were just kind of making a sequel and they found a way to make it work in some way they got a band in there with a song and they made a film yes they got christopher lee and that was a kind of a cool ending to it with the fire and all the craziness and the weird well, just an example, the vampire thing, the crazy weird were-bat thing attacking the dude is like, oh, what is, where the hell did this thing come from? Yeah, werewolves, and it's there. According, according to this film, werewolves can control bats, by the way, too. Why not? Why not? Of course they can. Because, <laughs> Let's just give them all the powers. Because, see, for The Howling 2, they decided that, for some reason, like Peter pointed out, they retconned the end of the first film. Instead of it, instead of D. Wallace turning into a werewolf on live television and the audience being apathetic, now Christopher Lee is a werewolf hunter who is showing Reb Brown, D. Wallace's brother, because yeah, I believe that those two characters would be related. That the unaired footage that the that the station suppressed because they don't want werewolves out there. Reb Brown is actually so bad in this; he's amazing. Christopher Lee is on record saying that Reb Brown's performance was so awful that between takes, Christopher Lee would go and put himself into a trance wishing he were anywhere else than watching Reb Brown try to act. And remember, they acted together in the Captain America movie a few years earlier. So it's not like he'd never worked with Reb Brown before. Reb Brown running around shooting, <laughs> were shooting werewolves going, Aah! is just amazing, though. This film was shot in Prague, yet they're, they're, it's supposed to be Transylvania for some reason. The script is so nonsensical and so bad that, again, to go to Christopher Lee, when he got the job on Gremlins 2, he went up to Joe Dante on the first day of shooting and said he was sorry for starring in Howling 2. <laughs> yeah, everything that's been talked about, the the horrible yet it's so bad that it's good performance from Red Brown, the fact that Christopher Lee is even in it, the gratuitous level of nudity which totally just makes it an exploitation film which it is there's there's no other way to really put it that that movie is just one of the the all-time greats when it comes to just really fun don't really have to care too much about exploitation greatness siskel and ebert called howling 2 the worst sequel of all time when it came out that should tell you something <laughs> Just gotta watch the ending. Watch the credits, and it'll tell you it's the worst sequel of all time. Let's go to the credits. Oh, look at that. She's turning her shirt off every three seconds because it's to the beat of the music. Why not? By the way, Sybil Danning did not know that they were going to do that, and she was not happy that they kept reusing that footage of her tearing her blouse off again 17 times in the closing credits. She was not aware of that. I just want to point that out to defend Sybil Danning a little bit. <laughs> well, it's one way to get people wow. to watch the credits. More movies could be improved by Red Brown running around with a shotgun. 
I think uh, I would I would have a lot more patience. For example, if Twilight had Red Brown running around with a shotgun, uh, I think it would be a much better movie. It's uh, it's just crazy. It's 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 so wrong. It's all the vampire lore that they mixed with <laughs> werewolf stuff. You got Christopher Lee, who's amazing. You got Red Brown, who's amazing in it. Uh, it it's uh, di- just different t- ridiculous. I want to point out, Cecil, different types of amazing for Christopher Lee and Red Brown, though, huh? Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you have, uh, you know, somebody who's really like, I mean, Christopher Lee is trying. He He's really, you know, I mean, he's he's giving a solid performance where you have Red Brown, who, you know, is probably on something. And uh, it's just uh, it's just being insane. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's greatly entertaining. But it's a movie that like don't go in expecting like a good movie. Go in expecting a movie that is just bad, but it completely works because it creates that perfect storm of badness. There's there's too much nudity. There's a, a, a just an orgy of violence. You've got classically trained actors in there that are trying to act in in just this really messed up movie. It's uh, it just works when it really shouldn't. Batshit insanity on film. Pretty much. Howling Two was not a critical success like the first film. This time. Nobody liked the movie, but it made a decent amount of money over its budget. So Philippe Mora was hired again to make The Howling 3, The Marsupials, which is arguably the best of the sequels. This time, as Peter pointed out earlier, we're going Ozploitation. We find out this one has, from this point forward, there are no connections to the original film anymore. Each sequel is essentially standalone, but I'll get to that in a little bit. This time, we find that werewolves actually hail from australia and they're marsupial werewolves we have killed most of them throughout history and the last little pack is now being found by an x-files type group working for the president in a town called flow get it f-l-o-w wolf <laughs> spelled backwards how subtle i i'll admit i missed it until i listened to the commentary track by philippe mora and after he points it out This movie is a satire of werewolf films, and I didn't get that at first. I thought it was just batshit insanity with an exploitation bent, but it really is a satire of werewolf films, and I thought it was fantastic. It's funny, it's weird, it's unpredictable, especially the last 20 minutes are just insane. And then, best of all, it's got Imogene Ansley as Jerboa Jerboa. Arguably one of the most beautiful women ever committed to film, despite having a fuzzy belly, fuzzy breasts, and a pouch. Yeah, three is probably my favorite after the first one. Uh, one of the earlier exploitation movies I saw back before I even knew exploitation was a thing. Uh, just the the cinematography, I think, in it is great. Uh, the the satire. Uh, I'm with you. I didn't catch it, but I mean, I, when I saw it, it was you know a long time ago, so I wasn't really paying attention to a lot of that stuff. But then when I saw it again, I was like, oh yeah, this is absolutely a satire on on werewolf movies, and uh, just the the goofiness of it, the the fact that they just much like a lot of other exploitation movies, they just went balls out. They're like, all right, how much insane shit can we put in this movie? And they put so much into it. Were- werewolf um, ballerinas, it's, it's... werewolf nuns. You've got the little birthing scene, which is straight out of Alien. You've got 
You've got werewolves the... working on a horror movie werewolf movie being shot in Australia. You've got giant spirit werewolves, aborigine ghosts. I mean, this is nuts. Yeah, the the, the birthing scene is hilarious because they they had uh, the they they filmed the mouse. They, they actually got a mouse and they put like werewolf fur on it and they kind of drugged it up a little bit. And they they filmed it in like uh, reverse uh, or they filmed it and then they reversed the footage and played that. So it showed the mouse like, you know, coming out of the pouch and like it's just, just crazy stuff like that. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's a highly entertaining movie and and just a really good movie to boot. I mean, as much as two is fun, like, I don't know, this one seems more genuine. I never thought that a woman birthing a kangaroo werewolf would turn me on as much as it did. <laughs> Again, Imogene Ansley is that hot. There you go. See, I, I wanted to give you give you something. All right, but uh, it, it really is a fantastic movie, and it totally stands on its own. I don't know if I even consider it. I mean, I don't think anybody really considers it as a real sequel as much as anyone would, would consider Howling 2 or any of the other ones, but this one... <laughs> is a great little werewolf movie just on its own, and in a, in a way is kind of just, well, it is absolutely exploitation. It's an Australian exploitation version of The Howling. It's pretty much the same-ish story being retold with new elements. Yeah, it's, you know, Australians working on a werewolf movie, and it's within a werewolf movie in itself. And then the ending is very reminiscent of the original Howling, though, where you have um, Jerboa Jerboa, turning into a werewolf on TV, you know, when she's winning an award for the movie she was in. So there was kind of that, that element of drawing back from the original and still very much doing its own thing. So it's it's totally exploitation, but at the same time, really genuine, as um, as you and Cecil were saying. It's a genuine movie, much, much better than Howling 2 on a technical standpoint, on a performance standpoint. It's very slick looking. It's a good looking movie. Um, maybe not as not as much as Howling One, but it I, I felt like it dealt with color very well. Um, some of the effects were pretty cool given the low budget of the film. Howling Three is is kind of where it stops for me in terms of uh, these movies. I kind of wished if it, it would have uh, just stopped at three because we had a great original film, we had a hilarious second film, and then a third movie that totally works just on its own as its own satirical werewolf movie that parodies the original howling in a way but still totally brings its own stuff to the table so it became a lot more normal this film was definitely more standardized uh just to clarify though the movie credits itself as in the title credits the marsupials the howling three so it doesn't say the howling three mars the marsupials which i thought was very funny in the opening credits it's the marsupials and then everything else is the howling three but no i think the the story uh was very interesting it was it was a it, it was very more humanistic because they kept trying to understand the werewolves rather than trying to treat them as purely monsters i thought that was an interesting difference between the two and that the marsupial take was a bit weird i don't know that it makes a lot of sense you almost didn't have to call it a a, a werewolf movie you could just call it something else i don't know what the right word is the most the movie that comes to mind uh that that is most relevant to it probably be splice in current history but it means it's very similar and then you've got this this amalgamation of genetics and you have someone reproduce with it and you get this offspring but anyway the idea is that i think the howling was made very well i think there's some silliness to it kind of cheapens it in some ways the effects weren't not on par with the first film at all 
the movie itself kind of distracted constantly. It almost felt like they were home on the range half the time in the middle of Australia. We didn't feel like we were in a horror film uh, at all. We felt like we were watching something that was more about the the, the humanizing qualities of, of these creatures. That That is exactly... Of these people. And that is exactly what Philippe Mora wanted. This is one of the most brightly lit horror films ever made. He specifically wanted to move away from what he called horror film lighting have most of the movie take place in the daytime, most of it to take place in brightly lit rooms, in sterile hospital rooms and whatnot. He specifically didn't want this to feel like a horror film. But see, that's that's also where I think it, it fails, because wherever it's brightly lit and they try to incorporate horror elements, it fails, because there's too much light. The effects aren't good enough. Things aren't up to spec. They, they show too much, and things don't work in that regard. It makes it seem silly almost it's better when they focused more on how do you how do you deal with these characters and these people that aren't bad people but we're treating them like they're bad people and i think that's that's the better part of the story not the science stuff not the not the um we're in the real world type pieces where they're interacting in the especially the movie but bit they had the the really crappy cheesy transformation in broad daylight obviously it was bad it was meant to be bad but it especially made the rest of the effects you're comparing it to it the whole time it kind of cheapened the rest of the film i i think it did a great job really trying to humanize them fantastic amazing great work the ending is a total arc back to the first film awesome that was Freaking fantastic. Great work on that part. Great way to pay homage to the first film and, and bring back that element there. That was amazing. And it was a good foreshadow earlier on with the flashes and the lights and all that that we might cause that transformation, all all those little pieces there. So that was cool. They did a lot of good things. Just they missed like some beats and some weirdness in between. So that's just my take at least. Alright, well, this was the last good film in the franchise. Then, from this point forward, all the films are direct-to-video. Now, Howling 4, the original Nightmare, is not even a sequel. It's kind of a sort of remake of the first film. Because, see, remember when I said that John Sayles threw out most of Gary Bradner's novel, except for the, the major plot elements? Well, Gary Bradner was not happy about that, and he also helped write the story for Howling 2. He wanted an actual adaptation of his novel. So in the same way that John Carpenter's The Thing is really not a remake of The Thing from Another World, but really a readaptation of the same source material who goes there, The Howling 4 is really a readaptation of Gary Bradner's novel. So in a way, it's kind of sort of not really almost maybe a remake of the first film because it tells the same basic story without the flair that Joe Dante had, without the amazing cast, Without anything really to make it interesting, Howling 4 is f***ing boring. It's a really boring version of the first movie. Howling 4 is a perfect example that just because you're doing justice to the source material, like being more faithful to the book, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a better movie. Some things are are better in its novelization form, and when turned into the film version... The certain changes are made that, you know, certain things that wouldn't work in the book work a little bit better in the movie and vice versa. This movie is that I've, I haven't actually read the novel. I don't know what the actual difference is. All I know is Howling 4 compared to the original Howling. It's it's a pretty safe bet that uh, 4 is a piece of shit in comparison to the absolute classic that the original Howling is. Basically, it was a reboot before reboots were really, like before people even called them reboots. I just remember it being kind of a crappy version of the original. 
and you'd be right. It's just it, it's got nothing to it. There's no oomph behind it. And arguably, not adjusted for inflation, it had the same budget that Joe Dante had. And yet it's hmm. boring. It's blandly lit, blandly shot with a bland cast. It's shot in South Africa, for God's sake. This movie screwed up in every way you could when you're readapting the same source material. Unlike my John Carpenter example, where he said, we're going to do it bigger and better. They said, let's do it smaller and worse. The one thing that stood out massively was they went way beyond way beyond the scope of what I thought they were going to do with the end death scene for the character's name which I can't even remember the guy's name who basically melts on camera I had throwbacks to like the original uh, Hellraiser when um, Uncle reforms out of the ground like the melting part in the end last like 10 minutes of the movie of this dude is just freaking amazing the effects were amazing with that if they had had more of the film be on par with what they did for that like minute long, minute and a half long melting scene for this dude, it would have been at that par. It would have been stellar. But it seems like they didn't have any of that, and they really tried to just make it more of a thriller. Maybe the original novel is. I'm going to have to read the original novel. I've not read the original novel. I mean, the original novel is more thriller-based, but that doesn't make for a good film, sadly. But yes, it's just a... A, a cheapened version of the first film with a great horrific melting sequence towards the end that had was not at all in the first film. Well, and then, you know, these being direct-to-video, I don't know how successful they all were or not, but at this point, they're making one of these almost every year to every other year. So then we get Howling 5, The Rebirth. This one was also, it's got no connection to any of the other films. I mean, you, arguably you could say the fourth film was connected to the first film by being a remake, but this one is completely on its own. This one was shot in Budapest. This one is about a Budapest castle that had like a massacre at it, and then during a snowstorm, 12 people are trapped here, and one of them's a werewolf. Who is it? Oh my god, it's 10 little Indians with really bad werewolf effects and some of the most unlikable characters you'll ever encounter in your life. Howling 5 is not terrible, but it's not good. This is a... This is an Howling 5 The Rebirth is an average direct-to-video werewolf movie from the late 80s. There's nothing special about it, but it's not unwatchable. Howling 5 is like a lot of uh, direct-to-video movies where it just so happened to be called Howling. Because really, it didn't have any ties to the other movies. It's just, well, uh, we have a werewolf movie, and it's going to be direct-to-video. And uh, if we put it under the Howling brand, we'll probably sell more copies. So there we go. And uh, that that was kind of the thing with it. I mean, and of course, it's pretty much why I saw it, because I was like, oh, it's a, you know, another Howling sequel. And uh, I'm with you. I mean, it, it it's not a bad movie. It's just um, it's just OK. It's it's your very it's your standard uh, direct to video movie. Uh, I, I, I thought it was all right. I mean, I've seen worse, but uh, it, it doesn't really strike me as something that, you know, I feel the need to watch like repeatedly. In a weird way, it gets a, it's got better production values than it should. By being shot in an actual Budapest castle, you do get, if those were sets, they could never have looked as good as that. So in a weird way, it, it has production value. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of movies that uh, the reason why they'll shoot in Prague or the reason why they'll shoot in, in certain countries is because it gives them access to all these old uh, ruins and temples and castles and stuff that they could shoot in that they could never afford to build these sets, but they uh, can afford the uh, rights to go and 
you know, shoot there for a couple weeks. So, yeah, I mean, uh, never turn away the ability to shoot in a really good location. I do agree that uh, location-wise, it's uh, it's a very cool place to shoot. Uh, unfortunately, the movie itself didn't do a whole lot with it. I just remember the movie looking very gray, being very bland, the pacing being very slow. It's um, it's it's incredibly forgettable when it goes. It's like like I said, like the the series really just fell completely, you know, way over the edge after the third one, and none of them are really memorable or, or particularly rewatchable. That one is just, a, it's its a perfect example of uh, just how, how downhill that uh, franchise, if you if you even want to call those sequels or a franchise or anything, but as far as it goes, that's definitely one of the most forgettable ones. <laughs> no rebirth. However, was the film, with regards to its uh, cover art, that I remember seeing the most in the uh, rental locations in the early 90s. It was the most pushed film, I think, uh, out there. I always saw this cover in the horror section. It stood out like none other. The film itself, not having seen it, because I didn't watch it back then, it is very slow. It's like um, almost watching a Scooby-Doo version of The Howling. They're just wandering around this castle the whole time, and they're being attacked, and there's this, they're trying to discover this and that. I was greatly disappointed with it. It was really boring and very forgettable. And the tie-ins to the ancient history stuff they tried to do with stuff that happened before and everything else, it just seemed... Like, again, they were trying to go for like a haunted house movie and they just said, oh, we'll just put werewolves in. So but I know that I've said a lot that these films don't feel like they've done that. They haven't taken one film and just inserted werewolves. This one is the one that I think personally feels the most like that makes sense because you could just have had anything haunted here. And that would have made this movie work. You didn't need the werewolves necessarily. You know, it's there. And I think it's extremely, sadly, forgettable, even though the location is phenomenal. And it's mind-blowing to think that it's all real. It is a cool bit. And it was obvious in watching it that they were somewhere practical. It was a very, very neat piece. But beyond that, the story uh, is about as good as a three-week-old biscuit. Then we go to... Arguably one of the best the best considered sequels, although I consider this one the most disappointing. We go to 1991's Howling 6, The Freaks. This time we go, we're still shooting in Eastern Europe at this point. I can't remember if this one takes place there or not. I didn't rewatch this one for this because this movie pissed me off so much in 1991. This time a werewolf gets captured and is put inside a cir circus freak show. They throw an even bigger twist. The ringmaster of the circus freak show is a vampire. And I, I thought that sounded so cool when I read it on the back of the box. And then as I'm watching the movie, I'm going, this fucking sucks. This movie is terrible. I hated the freak show aspect. It was trying so hard to be a to feel like a Ray Bradbury movie that it just fell completely flat. And then the whole vampire angle, you could have written that out of the movie and it wouldn't have made a single difference. The vampire angle almost has nothing whatsoever to do with the movie. The effects are not so bad. And I disagree with Leonard Malton. Quote, Howling 6 is intelligently written, especially for this series, but pretentious with vague Ray Bradbury-esque undertones. Unquote. I agree with the Ray Bradbury part. I do not agree with the intelligently written part. I was at my sister's house at the time she was one of the people who really got me into horror. And so we were sitting down, we were watching it. It was like, oh, you know, a new Howling movie. So we were checking it out and fiance came over and was like, 
oh, uh, you know, I wanted to see this movie. And we got about halfway through it. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, so we started the movie over again from the beginning. And I'm like, oh, like I have to watch this whole thing, you know, again. It was tedious the first time. Now I have to watch it again immediately. So I have to sit through all the tedium again to get to, okay, here we are back at the point where, uh, you know, we something might happen and then nothing happened. That was the uh, the first and last time I ever watched the movie. So I've seen it one and a half times. Do you admit that the whole vampire angle sounded clever on paper but just did not work? I thought it was going to be cool because it was like, all right, you know, hey, you've got, uh, you know, a, a freak show um, carnival where they've got a werewolf and it's uh, the ringleader is a uh, vampire. That makes sense because it's always there's always the the uh, vampire werewolf wars, so to speak, and having a vampire uh, have control over a werewolf. That's kind of cool. And yeah, it was just wasted. This one's one of those perfect examples of uh, seeing something that has a really cool poster or the synopsis sounds like it would be the most awesome movie in the world. Like, yeah, the, the idea of a of a vampire controlling a werewolf and it's like this freak show and stuff. And it's like, this sounds really cool. And then you actually watch it and it's just such a downtrodden, slow hunk of shit of a movie. And that's all I remember from seeing it about four or five years ago. I mean, overall the setting was good. Um, but beyond that, it's mostly forgettable. Like they didn't utilize any of the elements they could have for the, um, for the, the vampire tactic. They just kind of made it said, Hey, we're going to be in a cool setting. We're going to try to build suspense. And they did none of the above and just said, Hey, we're going to try to basically sell movies. The vampire thing almost seemed like an afterthought. It's like they were going, we need a twist. We need a twist. How about the ringleader is a vampire. I mean, it, it's it's just that thrown out there and that pointless and doesn't go anywhere to the point where it seems like it was a last second addition to the movie, doesn't it? Yeah, well, what's silly about that is that it, it does, but also that they they didn't realize what they had. If they had if they had spent a lot more time with it, especially now today with you know things like Underworld, had a great opportunity there, but they really wasted it and didn't do anything with it, and it was an afterthought for them. And maybe Underworld got inspired by. Howling or other type films, but you know the idea is that there's other good stuff out there, and they just had a great idea and they did almost nothing with it. Well, speaking of doing almost nothing with it, now we we go for a little gap here. We were almost getting a new Howling movie every year, but now we go to 1995. Although the movie wasn't actually released until 1997, we get Howling: New Moon Rising. For whatever reason, they stopped numbering them at this point, whether that's good or bad. Now. Clive Turner, he wrote Five, Six, and New Moon Rising, and he was an actor in Part Four. Okay, now they gave him the franchise. Clive Turner wrote, directed, starred, edited, and produced and wrote the music for Howling New Moon Rising. This is one of the worst werewolf movies of all time. This is a werewolf movie that forgot to put werewolves in its werewolf movie. There are no actors in this movie. Literally, he shot in a real small town, and everyone plays themselves in a real small town. The budget was so low on New Moon Rising, they could not afford werewolf effects. So all of the werewolf attacks are POV shots tinted red or take place off camera, or literally werewolf scenes lifted from parts 4, 5, and 6. He tries to say 
that five, six, and seven were all continuity. He uses scenes from the Budapest Castle and from the Freaks as flashbacks that the werewolf character is having in New Moon Rising, trying to say that this is a trilogy here and it was all the same character all along. I defy anyone to sit through New Moon Rising and not either want to commit seppuku just completely have their brains melt out of their nose. Joe Bob Briggs said it perfect. This film, Howling New Moon Rising, should be the film shown to people at Guantanamo Bay to get them to talk. Because after 25 minutes, you will talk rather than finish New Moon Rising. No, this is uh, one that I either I don't remember it or I've just blocked it from memory. Yeah, you're talking about it. I'm like, because I, I know I've seen it, but I, I don't even remember anything about it. Uh, this movie uh, basically would make a great double feature with the supposed Sleepaway Camp 4, which is basically just the stock footage and random footage from other movies claiming it all to be as canon. So it's a, it's a great little double feature with that uh, accompanied with a bottle of scotch and a handgun. Man, I like Peter's description. Um, I think it's very, very fitting. It's honestly very terrible. It's, it's, I don't know what they're trying to do with it. It was garbage, absolute trash. Um, it's probably there's there's absolutely far, far, far better fan films probably about howling out there than it. It doesn't even make there is no there is nothing that makes any sense to it. It was shot definitely on video, and it just doesn't work i don't understand the movie i don't it doesn't it doesn't even make sense to even equate it into being part of the howling franchise it should not even be considered an option that's my take on it well and then the thing with new moon rising is this was a movie in search of a runtime now you had to be 85 minutes long to be called a feature at this point and oh my god is clive turner drawing these scenes out there are two complete line dancing sequences where they do an entire line dance for six straight minutes at two separate points in this movie that you just start going this is padding the movie oh and there's supposed to be a werewolf in here somewhere but we forgot to actually joe bob briggs said it perfectly this movie is a werewolf movie in search of a werewolf at this point the franchise was effectively dead because new moon rising as you can suspect didn't do very well so the franchise went into hibernation until, bizarrely, for some reason somebody got the bright idea in 2011 to make a new Howling movie that is inspired by Twilight and that has nothing to do with any of the other films. The Howling Reborn is Twilight with werewolves instead of vampires, and I know there's werewolves in Twilight. It's shot like a Twilight movie. The characters talk like they're in a Twilight movie. This movie is all made for tweens. The Howling Reborn, I could barely get through. This thing was so bad. I, I thought Howling Reborn is the biggest insult to this franchise, even more than New Moon Rising. I didn't particularly like it, but I didn't think it was that bad. I've seen far, far worse. Uh, I made it through it with no problem. I, I enjoyed parts of it. Uh, it definitely was um, trying to make howling into a uh into more of a love story it can work if you've got the right people behind the camera but uh this one eh, it just kind of felt slapped together and they they wanted to do something that it wasn't i mean honestly if it was called something besides the howling it wouldn't be surprising but again they felt the need to kind of put it under the umbrella of uh 
a well-known franchise as a way to kind of get more tickets in there and or you know get more sales in there rather because it was direct to video i i thought it was all right it you know wasn't uh it wasn't anything great but uh it wasn't anywhere nearly as bad as uh some of the other ones and see i didn't understand why this movie was made as a howling movie you attach the Howling name to attract people who are fans of the old franchise. Most of the tweens you're going after have no idea what the Howling franchise is since it died in the mid-90s. So most of them weren't born when New Moon Rising came out. So you're not going to attract people who are fans of the old Howling franchise, and you're not going to attract people who weren't fans of the old Howling franchise. That just is a bizarre, why was this a Howling movie? Why not just make this generic werewolf Twilight love story the movie? Nothing uh, screams cash-in like taking a serious uh, horror movie that was uh, originally, you know, is iconic and classic and going the Twilight tween route. Just by that merit alone, it's just just gets a big fuck you from me, which is really all I can say. I think the uh, the film itself really tried to steal from, uh, obviously steal from Twilight, but at the end of the day, it had a good spin, and I thought that it was substantially, at the end of the day, better than Twilight in a lot of ways. Granted that it's been inspired by and heavily influenced by, sadly, Twilight. I feel like if the film was re-edited to not be Twilight-like and to not be colored, which drove me nuts, because it's that dull, gray, blech, crap, you know, be colored more brightly, more excitingly, it would have been a much better film visually and more engaging. I think they were going for something. They wanted to sh- they were shooting for it to be one way. And if they had just made the best movie they could without trying to fit into a certain gamut, it would have been a lot better film. But I think the story element of where they went, especially where they ended, that kind of is ex- that's kind of neat. I like that. I- I'd like to see more of that, but let's do it without trying to pretend like we're someone else. Um, it- it's it- I think it's honestly time for Howling to have a reboot. I'll use that horrendously terrible word honestly the first film's phenomenal but i think it it that if we don't get something like that for the franchise and with someone that's going to do it true justice we're going to end up with more terrible films to keep a intellectual property alive and i think no one wants to see that we want to see good movies get made i think the only way to do that is to 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 give it a second chance and right now these films are not doing that obviously i i was reading a fangoria article back from 1991. This is right after the Freaks came out. So this is about four years before New Moon Rising would put the final nail in the Howling Coffin. And they were charting, the name of the article, The Destruction of a Franchise. They were charting how could you go from such an amazing first film to the piece of crap that was the Freaks. Do you guys see the franchise as that? Even, you know, including New Moon Rising and Reborn now, where the Fangoria article was written before those were made? How just looking at this franchise from the outside, you can go, what happened? Well, I agree that it went on a hell of a lot longer than it needed to. Even with um, this sort of silliness and weirdness of of two and three, I still very much enjoy those. And I feel like it could have easily stopped at that. And those easily didn't even have to happen to begin with. Like the howling very easily could have been a standalone film. Um, The stuff that came after three, you know, the four, the five, the, the six, the freaking the reborn Twilight remake. A lot of it is so unnecessary and so pointless and so pandering and, and useless and just such a cheap way to try to make a buck, uh, possibly worse than a lot of other franchises. And, and there are some 
some pretty bad franchises out there. So yeah, it does feel very, very unnecessary. And I think that they really did shoot them, keep continuously shooting themselves in the foot with every bad uh, sequel reboot thing that would come out. Um, so definitely. Certain movies, I see them intended to be franchises like uh, Friday the 13th. I know it was initially it was always intended to just be one movie, but then it did well and they kind of kept it going. But they kept bringing in they kept bringing in people that were right to do it. And that's why they kept making uh, entertaining movies. Whereas this uh, after three, it just kind of felt like, all right, uh, well, who wants to make a howling movie? And it's like a bunch of people got together and just made a howling movie. So it, I, I really feel more like howling, uh, not so much a, a franchise, but it was just a trilogy. And then uh, they just kept going and they just wouldn't stop. I think that the films that were produced were done so to continue to control for business purposes, to make money, to control the IP, et cetera, et cetera, the intellectual property, to keep the rights. I don't know that that was good for the series. Maybe the biggest part was the success of the other films we're having with a series. But to be completely critical of it, you didn't need this for like American Werewolf in London. You didn't have to have. I mean, there's only been two right there's only been two of those movies been well that one and then t- technically there is a third the dear woman episode of masters of horror is a canonical sequel to american werewolf in london john landis did that on purpose so technically there's the two american werewolf films and the masters of horror episode i think that's an example that it's been abused because it's something that doesn't need it nothing else that's been way more successful and has gone that far and certainly the films don't do any justice in most cases i certainly after the third one do no justice to the original source material and I, I that's just a travesty it's a waste don't need the storytelling but people obviously think they can make money off of it they must be making money they must be be as financially successful in some way or they wouldn't be doing it i think it's an interesting piece but you've got the discount werewolf film and that is howling that is that is the discount werewolf series is the howling no one else wants to risk it with their property but the howling yeah let's take a risk with it and see what happens they're willing to so that's why i think it's a a disappointment for the series to go from such a great first film probably one of should be considered one of the de facto must see werewolf films if you go see american werewolf in london you must see this one you must go see the howling if you haven't seen it you're not a true fan of werewolf films that's my opinion okay well, Cecil, since you channel more of you channel more of the Doctor than you do Eddie Quist, where can people find you? Uh, you can people can find me at escapistmagazine.com, Good Bad Flicks, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and all your other wonderful social media outlets. And Peter, since you loved to see Belinda Blasky get killed in the first film, God, she was so cute in that, wasn't she? Where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me giving birth to kangaroo werewolves on uh, YouTube, the Cinemasochist, Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook, the Cinemasochist, and of course on 1201beyond.com. And uh, and hey, check out my uh, my review of Howling 3. I think that came out like two years ago. Darren, where can people find you oddly defending the Twilight ripoff of The Howling? I will always be defending it. You can always find me, Twitter, Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, underscore orange, just like the color. Send me messages on there, direct tweets, or feel free to send me an email at Darren at R88S.com. I will respond to you, and I promise that it will make sense. It will be not be howls or werewolf-like sounds. 
You can find me pretending that I am Sybil Danning's shirt being torn off 17 times in the credits at 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night, guys. Howl at the moon.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.